All right, good morning. If you'll turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to need our jogging shoes so we can run through all four chapters today, but I'm sure it'll be a blessing. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to share it. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, make it clear and understandable, and uh, help us to have a biblical worldview in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel is about Israel being back in the land. Ezekiel 38 and 39 will cover the war, an Ezekiel war, different from the one in the book of Revelation, uh, the battle of Armageddon, that's in the Revelation. This is a different war. And then also in 38 and 39 covers God's deliverance, which sort of wakes up Israel to God's uh, presence in their life. As of now, 10% of Israelis are actually religious. You wouldn't think so, but um, a part of the Knesset, the religious branch makes up 7% of the Knesset, of their uh, their, uh, Congress, Senate, whatever, it's their legislature. And uh, it's not very much. And so they're not as holy as we think they would be as being in the Holy Land and God's chosen people. Um, and so this is the means by which God brings them around to prepare them for the great tribulation, but also for the opportunity to receive their Messiah, a second opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior during the great tribulation. So 36 and 37, Israel comes back into the land. 38 and 39 is the war and God's deliverance. Israel's land is by God's decree. If you could put up map number three for me. The promise to Abraham, or Abram at the time, is Genesis 15, 17 through 21. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great great river, the river Euphrates, uh, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Catamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That is the land, roughly, uh, rivers change, of course, but from the, the red outline is what God gave them in this promise. That is not the land they occupy or exist in today. You can't even see it. Israel's that tiny little sliver. We'll get into other maps that will show you that. But it's, uh, you can see Israel there, the name in the Mediterranean Sea, and it's, it's probably one one-hundredth of the land that God actually promised them. That's all they ever conquered, okay? So I, I say that, and I show you this map, and this map will come up later on in the teaching. When there's an argument about whose land it is and whether they're occupying too much of it, that's our answer. They're not even close to occupying as much as God promised them. Not let alone what they conquered. And so that's our first map to see. That's the promise, and that promise never fades and never goes away. Now, the history. That's the land they were promised. Um, Abram, Abraham, walks around in this land in a tent his entire life, never actually having it. It was a promise to his seed. It was a promise to the generations after, but he would never realize that promise. Neither would his son Isaac and Rebekah as they wandered around in the same region. It wasn't until Jacob uh, and Israel, which is his name afterwards, that's when it happens. Jacob has 12 sons. He is the son of Isaac, 
the son of Abraham, so the third generation down. Jacob has 12 sons, and we'll go over those names shortly. He wanders around like they all do, but has an encounter with God where he wrestles with him because Jacob was known as the deceiver, the heel catcher, the one who was kind of sneaky Jake and wanted a blessing from God, wrestles with God. I'm giving you the short version. This is all we have time for today. And as he wins in this battle, although his hip is displaced, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So if you wonder where the name Israel came from, and you weren't sure, it came from Jacob. Jacob, his name gets changed to Israel, which means governed by God. You were tricky, Jake. You're a different man now. You're now governed by God. And he becomes the chosen people. But before that, Joseph, one of his sons, his brothers didn't like him. They sold him off to slavery. He ends up in Egypt by God's divine hand. Joseph ends up in Egypt through slave traders, becomes number two in Egypt. A famine comes into the land. Joseph is number two. Jacob says, we have Israel. We have no place to go. What are we going to do? We're going to moving down into, through a series of events, into Egypt where they're going to be protected and cared for throughout this famine. The problem is they stayed there at first voluntarily, Later on, they become slaves, and for 430 years, they stay there as slaves in Egypt. Thus, the exodus with Moses, 430 years later, the anti-Semitism is way too much. And believe me, that is a common problem and has been a problem since the birth of Israel, which we just talked about, anti-Semitism. It comes from the enemy. Moses is raised up. At age 40, he tries to lead the people out militarily by killing the Egyptian, they reject him. He goes into the wilderness for another 40 years, sees the burning bush. God calls him out and says, now is the time for you to go back and lead my people out. And he does. If you could put up map number one now, please. In 440 BC, 1440 BC, Moses and the Exodus begins. Now, this is a rough, there's a thousand maps like this and every one of them's got a different path because we're not exactly sure. But this is close enough for our understanding. They leave Egypt, they wander around in the wilderness, and they come up to the, uh, on the east side of the Jordan, of the Jordan River. Almost immediately, they get to where they're supposed to go. God promised them that promised land. It's now time for you to go in, if you could put up map number two. And they begin their conquest with Joshua. I am skipping a lot of history, but we've got four chapters we haven't even started reading yet. They come across to Jericho and they begin to conquer that land. And they begin to settle that land. If you could put up map number three again, that's the land they're supposed to get. Go ahead and put up map four. That's the land they actually conquer. And those are where the tribes land. The white that you see there, the, the part of the desert and all, and that, that's actually Israel. It's like an overlay of where they are today. Um, but that's the land, and that's where they settled, and so on, way, 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 way back. Okay, so we understand that. The Gaza Strip is there. The Golan Heights is up there, and we can't see um, um, the other part. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's, that's roughly how they all landed. So God promised them the land. Israel occupies the land. He evicts the current 
owners, and, and, and we talked about the Canaanites and Amorites and all that, and, and they move in and they're now the new occupants of this land. It's theirs on both sides. Now, we see three tribes on the wrong side of the Jordan, but not really since he gave them the whole land, but God really wanted them on the other side of the Jordan. But they were content where they were. They decided to come over and fight. When they were done fighting, they stayed on this side, and that's where they settled, and that's why it's broken up that way, the way it is. Nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan uh, towards the Mediterranean Sea, two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan. We will start our study now. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel has already prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 6 that he was going to remove Israel. Because what happened is the idea. Where are they? And why didn't they stay? And why is it that there's such controversy? And why do people think that this is the Palestinians' land? Well, this is where we begin our trek there. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God. Because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became a possession of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of uh, talkers and slanderous or slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate waste, the cities that have been forsaken which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the mountains and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. I'm going to bring you back. They have boasted enough. It's time for you to come back. I'm going to unleash and allow you (laughs) to return from all the nations and to come back to this place. Verse 6, Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. That's a prophecy that I will bring you back from the dispersion, the dispersion. Israel was dispersed one time, and in fact, Ezekiel is writing during the first dispersion. They were taken captive by Babylon because of their sin against God, they're returning. You'll see that with Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. You'll have to look those up on your own. But they return. They eventually return. He's talking about a different dispersion. A, a, another time when they would be scattered um, throughout all the places, all, all the earth. Um, and we'll, we're going to get into that here. Some other prophecies that talk about Israel coming back into the land. You can write these down. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. Isaiah, a completely different prophet, prophet says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
Jeremiah 23.3 says in a different location, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Jeremiah 32.37, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in mine fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Genesis 17, 8, also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Regardless of whether they're dispersed or not, it is always their land. It will always be their land. They will never be dispersed again after the second dispersion. That's important to know and to understand. It was never given up. God's promise is forever for them. Back in Ezekiel 36, verse 9, For indeed I am, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you men and beasts, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in the former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I underlined that. You'll hear that throughout this prophecy. The reason I'm bringing you back, you may not believe in me, you may not even be praying for me to help you. I'm bringing you back in the land that you may know that I'm the Lord. This is God setting up for the great tribulation. This is God setting up for the nation of Israel to have a heart turned back towards him, to have an opportunity to see his love for them again, to give them that second chance, give them that opportunity to receive him as their Lord and Savior. I'm going to skip 13 through 15. He says the same thing again, verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for the idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. They profaned it. They weren't walking with him. Even after Nehemiah brought them back into the land finally, and they moved back in, they began to fall into old habits again and do things they shouldn't do. And they became an apostate nation again, as they have several times uh, in the past, they, they, they followed suit. And that's frustrating for us. Reading Judges is frustrating. Reading this is frustrating. But I, uh, so we're not just talking about them all morning long. Uh, we bear the name Christ. We're Christians. And wherever we go, we have that same responsibility as the nation of Israel did to bear his name and to represent him well. And we don't want the world looking at us and saying, these are the people of God. These are the Christians. They don't walk like it. They don't act like it. They don't talk like it. It's contrary to what I knew about this God. We're responsible too. It's a heavy burden, but when you take the name of Christ, when you call yourself a Christian, then you take that burden on. That's important to know. None of us are exempt from that. And so as we see the frustration in God's heart here, and he's concerned about his name, he still is to this day, even with his church. 
Now, the dispersion. Fast forward to 70 AD after the death of Christ. Jesus has been dead 40 years maybe. He, uh, one of the last things he said in his temple as he left, he says, I'm leaving your house to you desolate, the temple. He told his disciples while he walked the earth that not one stone would be left on top of another considering this temple is so grand and magnificent that you love this temple. He's saying, it's going to be gone. Well, this is when it happens. 70 AD, the Roman general Titus comes in and takes Jerusalem. He's frustrated with Israel, frustrated with them, captures Jerusalem. And as fire began in this temple, and you know it's lined with gold, the gold would seep down into the cracks in liquefied form. They wanted that gold. And he gave the order then afterwards. They weren't supposed to destroy the temple, but it happened. Um, As far as Rome was concerned, God knew better. I want that gold. They turned stone after stone over until every stone was overturned and they got every bit of gold out of it. So Rome, prophecy fulfilled. Rome got their gold. The temple is no more. Now the Jews aren't happy. And for the next 60 years, they spark rebellion after rebellion. And they try to fight Rome and fight Rome. Rome gets tired of that. In 132 AD, Caesar Adrian or Hadrian resolves to stamp the Jews and their religion out of existence. This is important. He sold all Jewish prisoners into slavery, forbade the teaching of the Torah, renamed the province, renamed the province Syria Palestinia. That's where we get the Palestinian name. That's the argument. That's the frustration we see on the news the poor palestinians the poor pets always been there no it got changed and it got changed by rome who was frustrated with israel now this is all by god's design and god's hand don't misunderstand me but let's not be confused by what the world tells us okay so he renames it syria palestinia and changed the jerusalem's name to alia capitolina although the scholars are divided whether the place of Jerusalem's name changed before or after the revolt. Synagogues were replaced with Roman temples. More painful was the edict barring Jews from so much as looking upon their fallen capital. Many prominent rabbis violated this edict and martyred themselves in the process. Adrian's efforts had a lasting effect. The Jews would not regain control of that ancestral homeland for over 1,800 years, almost 1,900 years, and we're going to get into that now. For over well, almost 2,000 years, the nation of Israel has been dispersed over the world. Russia, United States, Poland, China, everywhere but where they're supposed to be for 1,900 years, almost. I keep saying that, but I don't want to be, somebody, it wasn't exactly 1,900. It was around there. It was close. Dispersed. That's a lot of generations to be without your homeland and to still exist as a country dispersed. It's an amazing thing. What are the odds after 2,000 years of them coming back into the land? I, I say this because it's probably the most, it is. It's the most important prophecy that's, that's happened since Christ. Okay? The fulfillment of the Messiah coming. May 14th, 1948. It just happened. After World War II, the refugees from the World War II, from the Holocaust, I'm skipping ahead a little bit here for time's sake. I've got to make it, are we? (laughs) 
<laughs> There's so much. 2,000 years. Oh, it's going to be hours then. At this rate. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Most of us were born after, well, not all of us, but a lot of us were born after 1948. But we're living in a time where that prophecy that's been prophesied, we're going to bring you back to the land. I'm going to bring you back to the land after the second dispersion. They've been gone so long that the church started saying, well, maybe we're the, maybe we all the promises of God are for us. In fact, Joseph Smith, the founder of, the, of Mormonism, actually capitalized on it too. What are the odds he's coming back now? I want to take this and I'm going to make it about me. And he does. You know, and of course he gets caught red-handed May 14th, 1948. The United Nations gives them their land back. And the refugees that were scattered and dispersed and nobody wanted them. Anti-Semitism was still at an all-time high. But there's a little sympathy left to where they gave them some land back. Back in their land. Back in this land right here. And they returned. 2,000 years later. That's an absolute miracle. It's never happened in the history of mankind, as far as we know, to be gone for 2,000 years and to be repopulated as a people group back in your land as a nation. It's a fulfilled prophecy. It's an amazing thing. This is where we are today. In verse 22, back in 36, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, this is the total. This is what he's going to do eventually. They're not there yet. There's still mostly atheists over there, at least non-religious folks. But he wants this, and this is where we're headed. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees, the increase of your fields, so that you, uh, so that you never... Uh, need never, excuse me, again, bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Make no mistake about this. I'm not happy with you. But for my name's sake and for your second opportunity, I'm doing this thing so that you might turn to me again. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. We're witnessing that right now. Israel's blooming. When they have hard times, when they have uh, depression-type events, they employ their people to plant trees, and they did. 
Millions and millions of trees planted all over this desert land, this dry wasteland. When you fly over, I have a friend, Al Grosskirth. He's a Navy pilot, fighter pilot, a friend from Omaha. He said, it was so strange we do joint ventures with Israel because we were allies and we're supposed to be allies. We need to be strong allies. When we do these joint uh, training missions with them, we'd fly across the desert. It was so easy to spot Israel. It's sand, 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 green, lush, beautiful. Sand, sand, sand. He says, you knew right where you were just by looking at it. It's blooming. The prophecies are being fulfilled. It's happening right now in our lifetime. We're witnessing it. Now, why am I so excited about this? And I don't have enough time to share everything that's on my heart. This is crazy. I thought it'd go much faster than this. I'm sorry. Because after 37, 38 and 39 are a war that takes place. And after 38 and 39 is the great tribulation in chapter 40. That's how close we are to the end. The last days began when Christ ascended. That's it. The last days. 2,000 years. The last days. That's our time frame. We're in the last, 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 last of the last days. We're that close to Christ coming back again. This is one of the most important things we've seen, this this renewal. Now, here's the thing. The rapture, which we believe, in Calvary Chapel anyway, the movement, the the group of churches called Calvary Chapel, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, which means there are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for us to be taken home to be with the Lord at all. And so before chapter 40... The great tribulation, we're going home. When we see what's happening, I've got to wrap this up for now. There's no way. I'm sorry. We'll have to do the next chapter next week. When we see what's going on in Gaza right now and, and with Israel, that's not 38 and 39. And that's important to know. But it could be the spark that begins 38 and 39. The world is frustrated with Israel. How many news stories are there every single day with all the world to cover? Is it always focused on Israel? Why is that always the focus? Because that's the focus of God. That's the focus of Satan. Everything happens here. This is our time clock. It's our watch that we look at for eternity. So anytime we see something spark, something take place in, in, in Israel, we're like, oh boy, maybe this is it. And it could be. This is bigger than anything we've seen in a long time. What's going on right now? And it's escalating. And they're not happy about it. All we need now is for these nations to come and decide that with a hook in their jaw, God draws them with a hook in their jaw and pulls them down. They're forced to. This could be the very thing that forces them to. It may not be either. We don't know. It could all dissipate and we could go back to normal and have a normal 2024. Or this could be the beginning of it. Either way, we need to know this stuff and need to understand these teachings and understand these chapters here so that we can be prepared and understand. But to look up, at least, for our redemption draws near. Thus says the Lord, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me, and to do this for them I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like a flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men and they shall know that I am the Lord. We're going seven more minutes. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around 
And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered, O Lord, you know. Again, he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I'm going to bring you back into the land. I'm going to raise you up from the dead. You're going to be a resurrected nation. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came on them, and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saying, says the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, as for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel and his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick and they will become one in your hand. You're no longer going to be a divided kingdom. I'm going to bring you both back into it. It's going to be one nation. Never again are you going to be divided now, that's what I was talking about with Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. <laughs> At the age of 17, he gets the Book of Mormon from an angel, the angel Moroni. And he concludes that this is him. This prophecy right here, he says, is me. I'm Joseph. That's my name. I'm the stick. And the other stick is the Bible. And my book, Mormon, it's going to go with the Bible too. And it's just as good as the Bible. Following a 17-year-old kid who... <coughs> sees the plain understanding and can't, I can't figure out the plain understanding of this text. We're not even talking about books. We're not talking about you, Joe. We're not talking about it. We're talking about Israel coming back into the land and you've made it about yourself and your book. It's false. It's false prophecy. And anybody following him is, well, they're lost. It's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. God says what he's talking about. I'm talking about Ephraim. I'm talking about Israel. I'm talking about bringing them back into the land. I'm not talking about books. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, will you, not, will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join with them, or join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land. It's very clear what he's talking about with the two sticks. You can't be misunderstood. 
unless you deliberately want to be misunderstood or want to misunderstand it. On the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them. They shall all have one shepherd. They shall all also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and to do them. Then they shall dwell in the land, and I, will, and I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they will dwell there. Their children, their children's children forever. My servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in the midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. My sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. This is where we are. If you'll put up map number six, and we'll finish with this. I'll let you look at that for a little bit. After World War II and the Holocaust, we reluctantly came into the war after Pearl Harbor. Uh, we did what we were supposed to do. We liberated, but still nobody wanted the refugees. Nobody wanted the Jews. It was a frustrating situation. We'll fast forward to UN Resolution 181. UN Resolution 181, as the refugee crisis escalated, the British government submitted the matter to the United Nations. They didn't want to be there anymore. They didn't want to control Palestine anymore, the new name of Israel's land. In a special session, the UN General Assembly voted on November 29, 1947, to partition the territory of mandatory Palestine into two states, one Jewish and one Arab. This was a recommendation that Jewish leaders accepted and Arabs rejected. They rejected both plans, by the, by the way. Arabs didn't want any of it. They wanted them gone. After the British began to withdraw their forces in April 1948, Zionist leaders, who were the Zionists, the Zionists were people that were already purchasing land with their own money and fundraising, buying it from the Arabs ahead of time, just buying up the land. Hey, if they're not going to give it to us, we're going to buy it from them. And they had gotten a lot of acres, okay? These are the Zionists that he's talking about. Even before World War II, they were doing this. Zionist leaders prepared to formally establish a modern Jewish state. On May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion announced the formation of the state of Israel, declaring the Nazis' holocaust, which engulfed millions of Jews in Europe, proved anew, anew the urgency of the reestablishment of the Jewish state that would solve the problem of Jewish homelessness by opening the gates to all the Jews and lifting the Jewish people to equality in the family of nations. The Declaration of Independence of the Jewish State was established in England, or in English, in New York Times on May 15th. That's when it was published, May 15th, 1948. President Truman recognized the new state of Israel that same day. All limitations on Jewish immigrations to Israel were immediately lifted, and they began to flood back into the uh, white portions. That was theirs. The yellow portions were supposed to be the Arab state. Only a politician would draw a map like that. Can you imagine trying to defend yourself? How in the world? Well, May 14th, the UN resolution. May 15th, the next day, 
the Arab nations warred. Five Arab nations came in to absolutely annihilate. It was the next day after they'd been given the land by the United Nations that the Arab nations said, no way, and they began to fight. And, 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 uh, and So put up map seven if you, if you would. This is what it looks like now. After the five nations came in and Israel defended themselves, they kept it. They kept it. They said, no. We can't defend it that way. Right now, the, the disputed territories are the Golan Heights up near Syria, which they have to have to defend themselves against Syria and Lebanon and anybody coming from the north. The West Bank, which they call settlements now, but you can't have that because that, that stretch, that little yellow stretch there, that little tiny little thing, all they have to do is cut across and they've cut the nations into two. So that's why they're there. The Gaza Strip is where our problems are today. That's where most of the warring is taking place right now, that little Gaza Strip, okay? Just so you understand where we are. The Arab-Israel War of 1948 broke out when five Arab nations invaded territory. The former Palestinian mandate immediately following the announcement of the independence of the state of Israel on May 14, 1948. And this is where we stand today, and that's where we have to close. I went 50, 20 minutes long. Uh, we'll, we'll cover the last two chapters, or the next two chapters next week. Um, this is where we are in God's time, okay? We're in 36 and 37 as far as prophecy concerned. The next event is 38 and 39. Whether the church is here for that or not, we don't know. We don't have to be, but we certainly can be. God makes no promises as to whether we're going to be here for the the, 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 the next war that's coming up or not. We, we will be gone, we believe, before the Great Tribulation, before the final seven years for Israel. But for now, this is where we are. If you're wondering about the book of Revelation, we're in chapter 3, time frame-wise, the church age. We're still here in chapter 3. Chapter 4 begins with, come up here, ironically. And then after that, 6 through 19 is the Great Tribulation. So the church comes up, Great Tribulation begins, and so on. And that's where we have to close today. Ah, sorry. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we don't want to be caught off guard. What we're witnessing right now, many, many generations of Christians were wondering if they'd ever witness, and we get to witness it. We're living in your times right now, living in your activity. There's no silence right now. It's happening. So God, we're thankful for the creation of Israel, the the reinstituting of the state of Israel, to bring them back into the land. That prophecy being fulfilled is a joy to our hearts, and we support them 100%. God, we thank you for that. They're not a great people. Like you said in your prophecy, they, they're not walking with you. They're not doing the right thing all the time. It doesn't matter. You're, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to fulfill your word, which your word says we're to support and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we do so. We pray for them. We pray for them to come to know you. We pray for other people to have their eyes open to see the times that we're living in right now, to be awake and ready, to be looking up, to be spreading the gospel, to be occupying our land until you come for us. Lord, help us to be busy about your business, busy about your work, Lord. Our minds with biblical worldviews, seeing the world unfold, not according to the politicians or according to the news stations, but according to what your scriptures say is true. We follow it and we watch. We love you. Bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any questions, we'll be glad to stick around and answer any questions up here. The guys that shared about their ministries, they'll be at tables. If you have questions, you can ask them about those ministries also. Thanks for sticking around late.